hairs on my body started standing on end. Silent. Nothing there. I fought to get back into my body. You are going to be a vital importance of helping us convince the masses. Type 471. Type 471. Bridge to the other world. Bridge to the other world. Welcome to Type 471. I'm Sam Kitchen. My guest today is Mike Hexum. Mike is a man in northern Minnesota who has a long, long history of uh, Sasquatch research under his belt. His first sighting happened when he was 14 years old. He had another sighting after that. He's been in the game ever since, and uh, in 2016, he joined the Minnesota Bigfoot Research Team. He's the oldest member of the group. They call him Pops, but he can out-hike anybody, apparently. Uh, he's a wealth of information. I can't wait to talk to Mike today. Mike Hexum, welcome to Type 471. How you doing today? Good, good. Good. Little little chilly up here in northern Minnesota. We had a high today of about 10 degrees, but that's normal for this time of year. Wow, that is nice and brisk. Yeah, that's what I hear of Minnesota. I've, I've never been, but I, I certainly am aware of the cold in your area. Well, I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. Oh, a quiet one. Yeah, well, quiet can be happy. Good works for me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm a kindred spirit in that regard. So, Mike, tell us about your first your first sighting that instigated the whole thing. What what happened to you when you were fourteen years old? Oh my God! Yeah, we uh, well, being up here in northern Minnesota, we're uh, we're hunters up here. Of course, I was raised deer hunting and uh, was out in an area that used to be a fifty five square mile game refuge, and they opened it up for general hunting. Nobody knew about it, but my dad and his buddies did. So we went in there and put up deer stands. I think it was like about the third day sitting in a deer stand and I could hear something coming through the woods from the west. And uh, it was making sound like a chirping noise. It was kind of really strange. Uh, and I could see it coming closer. At first I thought it was a moose, something big moving through the uh, brush. And it turned out to be uh, not what I expected. This thing walked out onto the trail, uh, one of the shooting lanes, actually, and uh, looked bewildered. It was kind of like, okay, what's going on here? This wasn't here two weeks ago, the shooting lanes were around at me. I could smell it. The wind was blowing out of the north, going to the south. I could smell it. It couldn't smell me. And all I remember is a real kind of like a stinky old bear kind of smell um it looked at me and wasn't sure what was going on until i made a noise i said hey it, it looked at me turned and two steps it was gone back into the woods i sat there for a couple of minutes in disbelief you know what did i just see and uh needless to say i packed up all my gear and got out the stand and went out where we met where all the other guys were at the vehicles and they asked me why i was off my stand so early oh what i see my dad went out with me the next day back to the stand and i said it was standing right by this white pine and the branch was right there 
well, you know, just above its head. And uh, my dad said, well, it had to be at least seven feet tall. He was I'm sure it wasn't a moose. And I said, no, you know, it was too close. I could tell what it was. And uh, my dad told me to keep it quiet. He didn't want anyone to know about this, you know, hush, hush. He would be embarrassed, whatever. <clears throat> but yeah, that was my first sighting. But this thing looked more manlike. It didn't look prehistoric. It looked prehistoric face. Had the pushed up nose, the uh, big forehead, big eyes, and it was all dark, dark in color, almost like it was wearing some dark clothing. But um, that's where I got started on it. When you say a pushed up nose, I, I want to cl be clear on what that means. Uh, apes have an open nose, whereas humans have a hooded nose with, with nostrils pointing down. But but some people, you know, they have like a kind of a pug nose or kind of a smushed up nose. Was it something like a human nose that's kind of smushed up or more like an ape nose? More like an ape nose, but the face was more human. It was didn't it didn't look like an ape. Interesting. When you said it was all dark, does that apply to the skin or just the hair? Just the color it was. Um, like I say, I was at that time, I was kind of in shock. The only thing I really remember vividly was the face. And I kept thinking, what's going on here? It's hunting season. Anybody in the woods walking around would be wearing red or blaze orange. Of course, back then it was red. And they'd be carrying a gun. And this was neither. It wasn't wearing anything red, no gun. And you're talking, uh, oh, 30 miles from a town. And back where I was in there, it's six miles from a highway. So, I mean, you know, it's, and at that time, no, nobody knew that the area was uh, opened up for general public. So, mm -hmm. I mean, there were very few people in there. Yeah, it was, uh, it was something, it's, you know, it's something I'll never forget, obviously. But Yeah, I, I can relate. <laughs> those, those sightings, they, they stay with you. I had my own sighting at Whiskey Town Lake here in Northern California at close range, those are things you never forget. So when you said, when you said that uh, it looked like it was wearing, or you, you compared it, you made a comparison like as if it was wearing all dark clothing. I just want to make sure, did it look like it might have been wearing clothing, or could you tell that it was naked, but you're just saying that it had one uniform dark color? One uniform dark color. Nothing breaking it up like a belt or anything else like that. One dark color. Right. How far away do you think you were? I'm guessing 20 to 30 feet away. Yeah, it's kind of hard to mistake those things at that distance. I was also about that close to mine. And uh, yeah, it's, you're, you're, you're definitely seeing what you're seeing in those moments. So then uh, what, what happened after that? Did, you, did your interest in Bigfoot start right away? Or did that come about after you had your second sighting? Uh, basically the second sighting, um, I grew up up here in Northern Minnesota, pretty much. Uh, we lived in St. Paul. I went to high school in St. Paul. And after so many years of being down in the twin cities, I couldn't take it anymore. I had land in a cabin up here. I moved back up here, um, from going from weekends up here to being full time up here. And the second sighting was in March. Uh, the ice was melting. The snow was just, everything was kind of melting. Everything was just water on the ice. 
um, at that time I had no running water. So my ritual every morning was to walk down onto the ice. I had a uh, hole punched in the lake there and I would get water for dishes and water for, uh, I had an outdoor shower that I could heat up and uh, was sitting out on the ice watching the sun come out and this thing came out of the where the boat landing would be on the north side of the lake and the lake is not very wide where i live it walked the length of the shoreline probably it's say a half a mile and then went back north into the woods uh where there was a cabin what i call uh, cabin people summer people come up here and spend the summer i couldn't get any foot tracks the ring was melting and the ring was just like slush. I did go to the other side of the lake and the, the cabin land, which it walked out of, uh, the, their gate was locked. They were not up. Um, I went down to where the boat landing was. There was no fresh tire tracks in the boat landing area. Yeah, it was the same thing. The thing was dark and it moved very quickly on the north side. It moved very fast. And now it coincides with some sightings I've had, or not sightings, I've had some reports I've got from a friend of mine that lives north of here. Um, he's actually heard them at night doing tree knocks and whistles. And in that same area, I actually found snow tracks a few years back, and we did get a tree knock in that same area. So you know, there's no doubt in my mind that they, they're in this area where I live. It's, it's kind of remote up here. There's not a lot of people living here. Oh, yeah. And just its proximity to Canada and the, the wilderness areas of Canada. I mean, there there have to be Sasquatches in Minnesota, as far as I'm concerned. Are you currently living in the same area where the second sighting happened? Oh, yeah. My old cabin. So you're still living in the, the, the actual same household, the, the actual same cabin where, where this happened? Yes. Okay. And about what year did this second sighting happen? I want to say about, I'm thinking around 2008, because I had some things going on. The neighbor down the road come up to me and asked me if, heard, if I heard some weird noises in the morning across the road. And it's all woods. It's all wooded where I'm at. And um, yeah, I had something uh, throwing rocks up on the roof of the cabin at night. I got a steel roof I put on. And I, at that time, my chocolate lab was about oh, 110 pounds he'd lay under the table and just quiver he wouldn't go out and then something banged the side of the cabin woke me up he started growling um i didn't have electricity at the time so i had a big flashlight i shine that outside to look around and uh it's kind of reminded me in the like in the fall winter when moose are in rut they'll sit and charge a building they'll actually rub their antlers on a building and that's what i thought it was at first but when i went out you know the next day there was no tracks or anything to indicate it was a moose that that all took place basically in the same uh, time frame this was actually prior to my sighting on the lake I where see. i had the rocks thrown up because i just poured rock around the cabin for landscaping you've mentioned a number of tree knocks i've been told about tree knocks where you could hear the wood splintering that it was it was so hard and then and then uh these splintered tree limbs were found have you found anything like that uh no in fact uh i've heard quite a few tree knocks i just at that time i didn't realize what they were um you know i got educated 
on a lot of things. I could tell you about tree structures that I seen back in the 70s. I would love to hear um, about it. It was phenomenal. But with tree knocks, I had a young man contact me here a couple of days ago. He uh, looked me up on YouTube from YouTube or something, and uh, he wanted to know about tree knocks. And I told him I prefer to use what's natural out in the woods, what would be a big branch. And normally when you go into an area, they know you're there. Um, they'll usually do one to two knocks. And that's to let the others know that there's somebody in the area. And so when I do a tree knock, I try not to go over three of them at once. Usually I, I get a good response or I'll get one knock in return. So that's it's interesting. You know, I'm still learning. I've been doing this for over 30 years. I'm still learning things. I've had infrasound done on me. I mean, the, the stuff I've seen and heard, just the list goes on. I mean, I could talk all night about this. Well, good. I mean, you're, you're invited to do so. And as a matter of fact, I was actually just going to ask you about infrasound and your experience with that. What, uh, what kind of infrasound attacks have you endured? Well, the first one, and there again, that was back in where that, in that area where that friend of mine had three knocks and also where I found snow tracks. Um, I was in that area, uh, grouse hunting and I found an old trail. I went up the trail on my four wheeler got back in the trail and it was right along the river and it was like a park it was just beautiful in there and all of a sudden i got the feeling of distress like something was going to hurt me or something was just i had i couldn't get out of there fast enough and and there again i i have a shotgun and a pistol on me there's nothing that's going to hurt me but once i got out of the area that all went away and the second time was actually on my deer stand. Um, I went in there in the morning. I had rocks thrown at me because there's a beaver dam right next to where my stand is. I've had rocks and sticks thrown at me that morning. And then later as the sun came up, that all stopped. And then I started getting the feeling like I was having a heart attack. And this was back in 2016. Once again, I got out of the area, walked out of there, and I felt fine. Once I returned, back to that area an hour later i started having anxiety attacks which i never ever have those and i can relate both of those incidences to uh infrasound what makes you so certain it was caused by infrasound well talking to a couple other uh people i know that are in the research and describing what i went through and i've seen a friend of mine go through the same thing where we or I wasn't with him. He was out on his, by himself. I was supposed to be with him that day, but he also had the same feeling of having a heart attack. And they got him out of the area, brought him to the hospital, and he checked out fine. So talking to a few other people who have a little more experience than I do, they uh, basically told me what I was witnessing was infrasound. Right. And I've, I've heard very much the same thing from all kinds of people. So I don't, I don't doubt your infrasound experience at all. I just, you know, I just had to ask the question, you know, I, uh, I, I would imagine you have a call blaster, right? I don't, a friend of mine has one and I don't know if I'm a big fan of them or not. Mainly the responses I get in the woods, I'm out by myself. Um, so call blasters, I don't know. I'm still a little skeptical on that. I had vocalization about four years ago. I went in to clear out a trail by myself, and I had two of them 
once I got in and shut my machine off, I got the chainsaw out and I could hear this mumbling talk. And then a few seconds later, another one answered them. And the two of them were like probably, I want to say 30 feet apart. I could hear both of them. And after a half an hour, the two of them were together and they were both mumble talking. At that time of year, it was September. The uh, brush on that on the, in the woods was still pretty thick. I couldn't see anything. They weren't that far away. I thought about walking in to investigate. And I thought, no, I'm six miles off a highway by myself. Probably not a smart thing to do. I'll just stay right <laughs> where I'm at. So I've never been harmed. Never been harmed in the woods by any of them. But that's where I learned that mumble talk. I've done that several times on different shows. And you've you've demonstrated the mumble talk? Well, if you watch all gas and no brakes, you'll see it pretty good on there. Well, yeah, I, I will have to watch this. I, I can't believe uh, I, I was. That was my that was my third sighting. Actually, was when we did that show. With I want to talk about that in in a moment. First, I just want to ask you more about this mumble voice. First of all, to your ear, did this sound like an actually fully developed language? So, if you can figure out what that means. Let me know. <laughs> That's well, what I heard. Fair it enough. Sounded, uh, I've heard people describe doing them like a, a samurai chatter. Mm-hmm. And that's the closest I can come to what I heard was this, what I just demonstrated. Yeah, that, that certainly sounds like uh, the telltale sign of, of Sasquatch samurai chatter. Uh, the reason I, I mentioned the call blaster is because I have an idea for an experiment, and I just wanted to run it by you. I uh, I have the same mixed feelings you do about call blasters. I don't know what to think of it right now. I mean, it could be a, a valuable tool, or it could be a you know a way to make sure you don't have an experience. But I th- this idea that I have uh, pertaining to a call blaster has to do with something that I read about tigers and the way they use infrasound they they lower their mouths to the ground and they're able to focus sound waves through the ground very precisely onto their prey you know a mile away and uh i thought about trying to replicate something like this with a call blaster directing the call blaster to be pointed at the ground while making or while playing very very low register sounds into the ground i just wondered if this might you know, elicit a some sort of interaction. What do you think of that? Yeah, it's worth a try. I, like I say, I grew up in northern Minnesota. I've hunted trap fish all my life. I know the woods really well. The best vocalizations I ever heard were up on the reservation north of me. And I have one of my teammates up there that's him and I and a few other people were up there. And we heard what they call the Ohio Hall, where it's a And within about, same thing with the mumble talk, with about, uh, in about probably a minute or two, another one answered it from the other side. And I had the thermal imager up at the time. Uh, This thing stood up from behind a wood pile and stared towards me. I had, I actually had it on video. The only problem is I can't claim anything with it. It could have been a bear because it, once it dropped back down, it was gone. So that, that would be bear standing up to see what's going on and then drop back down and got on all fours and got the heck out of there. 
but the body shape at that time of night was uh, very similar to what I would, you know, see out in the woods as a squatch. Uh, as far as the vocals go, we had uh, what we call piebolic uh, ear. Ah, can't speak tonight. Pretty unique tool. You can hear sounds up to a half mile to a mile away. Uh, and we had recorders on them. Unfortunately, we had like a $2 connector uh, hooking the recorder up to the uh, piebolic ear. And the connection wasn't good, so we didn't get any of it recorded. But getting back to what you're asking about, what I would do, they have the wild game calls out there. You can pretty much program them, and they got like a little PA system. I'm looking into one of those. What I'd like to do is I've heard some pretty realistic calls. I'd like to actually record them onto that game call and do them at a low level, not high, out in the woods and see what would happen. Also, like a rabbit squealer, I'm good with a rabbit call. That used to call in the wolves. Something like that was uh, suggested to me. Because a uh, squatch out there might think it's a wounded rabbit. Yeah, an easy deal, easy meal. Um, so that's another option I'm looking at trying out this spring. I recently spoke with a Bigfoot witness in southern Oregon who had an, an encounter by doing exactly what you're describing now. So those calls, those rabbit calls, they do, they do work. Come in and get a snack. Yep, I've tried the uh, deer grunts out in the woods. I've never had any. I did a show of MPR news back. 15 and I tried to um, we did a video I tried to do uh, grunt calls and we did have one tree knock but I mean nothing came in and checked us out you know that's why I was hoping something would be around in the woods yeah I you know I'm still learning I'm still learning I'm not an expert by any means Um, you know I'm still learning my trade here I don't think there's any such thing as an expert at this point but uh, you are a Pretty good tracker, from what I hear. I'd like to, I'd like to hear more about your tracking experience, how you cultivated this this uh, skill in yourself, etc. Well, I don't know. It's kind of weird. There's things I know that I was never taught, um, like the way in the woods. I very seldom even carry a compass, let alone use one. I never seem to get lost. I always seem to know where I'm going. Um, other things, animal science. You know, there's things I can tell by looking at tracks, other things and that. And there's things I've never been taught. I just know them. I don't know how I know them. But obviously, yeah, all the years with my dad and my uncle out in the woods, I've I've learned a lot of things. Absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm, you, you talk about intuition, and I think that's very important. That's something that I've been wanting to bring up to people who are very, very focused on the linear evidence-based approach, A to B. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. We absolutely have to have the evidence, and that's step one in order to accomplish anything. But our thinking at the same time has to also include intuition, which I feel is a missing 50% of cognition that we've kind of forgotten about in our culture. But uh, the intuition you speak of, where you just have innate abilities that you listen to, that is of incredible value in this work. And, and so I, I think that's great. You, you have both skill and innate ability. That's really cool. Well, uh, the area which I still, I'm in quite a bit, and that's where um, I've had my sightings and 
I've had a lot of tree knocks and this and that, and I believe it's the clan of them that live in there. And over the last umpteen years, they, they know who I am. So they don't harm me in any way. Uh, the only time I ever had any issue with them is after I brought a film crew in there. And it was kind of like they were telling me they were mad at me. They wanted me out of there. And that was in 2016. I brought the film crew uh, Finding Bigfoot in there. We did an overnight show there. And we got a tree knock. Unfortunately, the best part of the show they never aired was one of the cameramen were going back to base camp. And he was being sidetracked in the woods along the trail. Something was following him. And this guy just freaked out over the radio. We were listening to him. He was just freaking out. So I'm sure... You know, like a moose will be curious. Moose will follow you to a certain extent, and they usually lose interest. Um, bears, in that part of the area, bears are not used to humans. If they smell anything that doesn't smell right, they're out of there. So I can rule out a bear. It could have been a moose, but I doubt it. I doubt it, because the moose population has been really bad here for the last 10 years. But there again, I've been followed out of the woods before. It's, you know, that's happened to me on numerous occasions, so. I wonder why they didn't air that part. That's the most dramatic part. Yeah, it was. I don't. I don't understand. It was my first time dealing with something that big. Um, they contacted me after I did the MPR show, and they were doing the Reamer show, uh, Home of Bigfoot. So I did probably ninety percent of the guide work up here in northern Minnesota for them, and uh, they chose the spot that I was back in where I had my sighting. So I actually was on that opening night show. And then the introductory to the show, I was on that. But they showed up with a crew of about probably, I want to say 13 people. I mean, I was just kind of, I, I met them out at the location and they showed up and noisy and they set up tables. They had food. They're all eating and talking. And I'm going, what the heck is going on here? You know, and but that's their tradition. That's before each show they would do that. But then we went from there. We went back in about four miles, split up into two groups, and then that's when we I we had the one knock, and I think it was just a warning to the other yeah, there's people in here. You know, let's clear out of here. We did hear something walking around us for probably ten minutes, and uh, Cliff and Matt were with me. They both asked me if there was bears in here, and I said, Yeah, there are. But usually up in that area, if they sense a smell that they're not used to, they're out of there. So, you know, my experience from uh, doing guiding up there for bear hunting years ago. So how did they punish you after the film crew left? Uh, I think you mentioned they, they were throwing rocks. What, what, what all did they do to let you know they were not happy? Well, I went in there. Well, this was in July. And I went in there several times in the summer. But when I went out there to actually hunt, deer hunt I sat on my stand and that's when they were the rocks were being thrown around me I could hear splashing in the beaver dam and then I when the sun came up is when I experienced the infrasound where I felt like I was having a heart attack and as soon as I walked out of that area I felt fine and then like I say I went back in probably an hour later and that's when I started having other problems and I stuck it out through the day I didn't get off there and then the next day it was fine nothing nothing happened no Rocks, no sticks, no infrasound, no anything. I want to point out this beaver dam. I, I'm sure you are 
thoroughly aware of the importance of this beaver dam, but beaver dams come up in Bigfoot research uh, because, from what I understand, the smell from a beaver dam wafts out during the daytime, and then it kind of collects back into, it settles back into the beaver dam at night. So this has a tendency to draw predators in, and uh, obviously Bigfoots take advantage of these. So So beaver dams do come up quite a bit in the context of Bigfoot research and sightings. And I know you're aware of this, Mike. I just wanted to to mention that for the the benefit of the listeners. Yeah. A good example of that is there are great ambush. Um, I've seen deer trails where trees were pushed over to make the deer go around the trees. And back in, uh, what was it, 1995, we had a really bad winter up here. I went back in an area and I found probably at least a dozen dead deer and half of them were wolf kill. You could tell by the back legs where the bones were chewed on and they were chewed up. I found several deer though, that the legs were broken and there was no bite marks on the bones. And I thought that was kind of unusual. I mean, what would do that? Did any of them appear as though they had been twisted? Uh, well, they were pretty much dismembered by then. I could just look at bones. Gotcha. But, uh, you know, after, after the kill, um, you could, I could tell the back legs were broken, but, and then the back was broken. It appeared to be broken. I, the legs were definitely broken, but there was no bite marks on the bones to indicate it was a wolf kill or coyote kill. Cause usually they'll go for the hind legs. So I, uh, you know, I have to chalk that up to the big guy. Sounds like it. Uh, did you, had any of them been eviscerated? Did you find uh, the bellies slid open? They were pretty much gone. Um, what's kind of really weird is um, I've had, okay, it may sound a little crude, but uh, when you shoot a deer, you got a gut pile. I've walked in the next morning to get on my stand and the gut pile is completely gone. So that time of year in northern Minnesota, uh, the bears are in hibernation. What could take a gut pile that fast and leave no trace? And, and if you think about it, the guts are probably got the most uh, nutrition in them for what they're going to need to survive. That's right. So, of course, they're going to they're gonna take that. I've actually left deer in the woods hanging on a tree branch and come in the next day, and they were still there. So that shows me a sign of respect. Yeah. I've also had a dead rabbit left in my stand. And uh, I brought it back to my place here and skin, you know, skinned it out. And there was absolutely no bite marks in it. There was no holes in it. Its neck was broken. To me, that's what you call gifting. Certainly. So, I mean, I, I've had that done too. It's crazy. Yeah. So you have these interactions going. Uh, do you ever use words to try to interact with them? Do you ever speak to them? Do you ever tell them your name, ask their name, or, you know, do, do you, do you communicate with them with words in any way? No, I really haven't tried that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I've been followed many times in there. I could sense it and I could hear it. Something was following me. And there again, like I say, it wasn't a moose or anything like that. Well, you are communicating with them via gifting, um, and other gestures, it sounds like. So I just wondered about the, the language. Maybe it's, might be something to throw in there just to see if you can take things to the next level. What do you think? I thought about that. I'd probably confuse the heck out of him. <laughs> <laughs> what the heck is this guy talking about? <laughs> that could be. Well, I mean, it might be interesting, though. It might just shape you know, things. Uh, 
couple of years back, my son come up to me. We were in that area doing some work. And he came up to me and he said he could hear somebody talking. And he couldn't understand what they were saying. Well, I said, really? We walked back to the area and there was nobody around. And we went back to the main trail going in. There was no vehicles. So I don't know what he heard. But there was nobody in there. But he said it sounded like voice, a voice. But he couldn't understand it. It was far enough away that he couldn't understand it. Yeah, very interesting. I I look forward to hearing this language for myself. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna it's it's gonna happen, and I look forward to it. So I want to hear about this all gas no brakes incident that you have mentioned. Oh yeah. So I was in Reamer. They requested I be there for Reamer days. Uh, July, they do the Bigfoot thing. And all gas and no brakes showed up. So they talked to a friend of mine that was on the uh, team that I was on at the time. And uh, he said, we're going to do an overnight with them. They were willing to pay him X amount of dollars to take them out. And I go, okay, well, I guess I'll go. We had a young kid by the name of Dylan with us, his mom. Somehow, I'm not sure how all this worked into it, but he uh, was along for the ride for that night. So Dylan and I, we were in the rear. The film crew and uh, Abe was up in front, and he's talking to them. He's demonstrating different things. And we got in, I'm guessing, about three miles, three and a half, maybe four miles in on this trail. And the crew with Abe went into the woods. And they were going to do a tree knock, and it was getting kind of dusk. You could still see, but it was just on the verge of getting dark. And I look up the trail, and I can see this thing walk out, and it stood there in the trail. And I'm guessing it's probably about seven foot tall. Dylan, the kid with me, he was about, at that time, I think he just turned 18. He looked up the trail at the same time I did. And I turned back, and I yelled, you guys, you guys, we got one on the trail. This thing stood there for probably less than 30 seconds, swayed back and forth a few times, and then stepped back into the woods. Uh, This young gentleman by the name of Dylan, he completely freaked out. He took off running. I had to go get him. He was just freaking out. Later that night, we were there again walking back out with this film crew. And we were being followed. Dylan and I were being followed. And he was starting to get nervous again. I just said, look, you know, we're fine. Just keep walking. Don't freak out. But you could hear something walking to our right. Every time we stop, it stopped. You could hear it actually taking footsteps. And when we got out to the uh, rendezvous point with the film crew, this thing was circling around us. And needless to say, the film crew wanted out of there. I mean, they were booking we got back to the vehicles well lo and behold to me when they did the the show on all gas no brakes they kind of made a a joke out of it and i was not real happy about that Hmm. uh they took my mumble talk and they redid it over and over and over and over again so it was a continuous that's not the way i did it Hmm. um the only thing i can say about that is we got over three million views on it so it turned out to be a pretty pretty big hit for them and uh but yeah i chalked that up to third class a this thing was definitely was not a bear and unfortunately it didn't stay out in the trail long enough for the rest of the guys to get out and get a look at it so that is intense i i I just i can't imagine why a film crew would want to take off when they have finally the thing that they're there to shoot 
Well, they had the heck scared out of them. Sure, I get it. I get it. I mean, I, I, I understand and I can appreciate that. Um, do you think that this activity uh, happened the way that it did because of the presence of the film crew and so many people and all the, all the equipment? Do you think this made them nervous? What I, a good example I can, I can give you is we took a group, two groups, family groups out oh, about four years ago to a spot. And we got vocalization, we got tree knocks, we got everything. And I'm just like, oh, my God, I haven't had this much action in a long time. And the only thing I could, afterwards, I tried to evaluate everything. We had four women with us. And my explanation of this, it's got to be juveniles. Young young ones are curious. They're curious. And that would explain, I, I'm, I'm thinking the same thing with that night with all gas, no brakes. It had to be a young juvenile or several they were just curious um you know they were told not to but kind of like ding dong ditch when you were a kid you know right yeah and uh, something they would do exactly and bobo has told me about similar things uh, that that juveniles do like uh groups of juvenile sasquatches will run out in front of cars and mess with people Mm -hmm. and do all kinds of stuff. It's like the the Sasquatch equivalent of teenage kids hanging out in the parking lot of Taco yep. Bell. That kind yep, of stuff. You know, and I've told people, I said, you know, they've asked me, well, how would we actually see one? How could we? And I said, okay, well, you go into the woods by yourself, right? You get camouflaged, you hide. You may sit there for 10 hours. You may sit there longer. If they know you're there, they'll, 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 they're going to know you're there. Either walking in or a vehicle when you park it or whatever. Uh, with the juvenile, I think they get curious enough. Eventually, they're going to walk in to check it out. You know, it's just like, okay, I can't do that. I got to see what's going on. I got to see what's going on. So that's kind of my advice for people that actually would like to see one. There's no guarantees. I mean, the two that I seen, the first two I seen were by accident. I didn't go out looking for them. Same thing with the mumble talk. It seems to me that juveniles, juvenile Sasquatches may present us the most opportunity in terms of actually making contact. They seem to be the ones, like you said, they're curious, so they're exploring, mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're looking into humans. And, and the, the one that I encountered, I feel, was a, a, an older juvenile, like at the onset of adulthood, like right at the same place in his life where I was in mine. I was 17 mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, and Bobo actually pointed this out to me. I he 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 made me think of it in a way that I hadn't thought of it before. But but at any rate, yes, this individual was a juvenile, I believe, and and so they're they're the ones that tend to want to interact the most. Uh, I mean, they're that that is, is certainly not you know uh, a, I can't make a sweeping generalization about that. That's not an absolute, but it seems to be the case more often than not. I, I believe so. Um... I think it's the juveniles. Um, another instance where my girlfriend at the time, he was bugging me about taking her out in the woods and her sister and her daughter were with him. So, okay, I took him to an area where I found snow tracks not far from here. And we walked in probably, I'd say, off a main road, probably about a mile. And uh, we're in there, and I'm doing three knocks, and they're giggling and laughing, and I'm thinking, come on, you wanted me to do this be quiet and listen well after about an hour or not an hour about a half an hour of doing three knocks on and off we got a response and the response was about 50 yards to the north of us 
heading our direction. It was a clear knock, one knock. Needless to say, and this is why I'll suggest you carry your own flashlight. They took off running down the trail back to where we had parked. I'm standing there in the dark with no flashlight. And I'm going, okay, they're gone. Luckily, my cell phone was bright enough. I could see my way out of the trail. <laughs> oh, that's a close but one. There, but there again, it was three gals. You know, and it was an area where I've actually had, I've found snow tracks in the winter. And so, you know, it's it's an area with their, actually, it's not that far from where I live. So it could be the same ones I've, I've seen on the lake. How old were the women who were present and what age group? Uh, I would say at that time, probably late 40s. The daughter is probably about 15 or 16, I'm guessing. You, you seem to be implying that the presence of these women was a factor in this encounter. Um, so I just wonder if it's just the fact of them being women at all, or if these were juveniles who were attracted to a young adolescent human female. What, what do you think is the case? I, I tend to believe with the two instances I went through that both involved uh, younger women and women in, in general, um, I have to believe that, yeah, juveniles and they're definitely interested in the, the female. Right. They can smell them, you know, and they're, they're definitely attracted. They're interested. Kind of like a teenage boy, you know, looking for a girlfriend type of thing. That was my thinking, and that's pretty much what I thought you were getting at. So, yeah, that, uh, yeah, it's, it's just so interesting how men and women have such a different side of the Sasquatch experience. I mean, it makes perfect sense, of course, but to learn everything we can, I think we need to have a well-rounded picture. We need to incorporate the experiences of men, women, and children into our full understanding of the Sasquatch phenomenon. And that is one of those little pieces. Well, I, I did some interviews with a couple gals, and it's an area that I went into last winter, or I should say last March, I went in this area and checked it out. And I've been in there before, and it's such a big area. It runs for 11 miles, this trail. And these gals were in their camping, and they had an experience when they were in their camping. And I've also got other reports of the same area where uh, logging trucks going up and down the highway have seen these things crossing the highway going into this area. And then there's another highway to the east. It's 11 miles away. They've also got reports of this thing crossing the highway going west. So they seem to be east and west in this area. And that's about probably, I want to say about eight miles north of me. And then also I had the uh, Itasca County Sheriff, this was a few years back, who showed me some dash cam video, this thing crossing the highway at night. That's 11 miles from where I'm at. I asked him for a copy of the video and he says, we can't do that. So I was kind of just, you know, unhappy about that. But this thing was definitely, and this was done by a, a Tass County Sheriff, which I've interviewed a few of them and they've had sightings as well, but they're inclined not to say nothing, you know. Certainly. And and just to back up a moment, you're, you're saying that the, the sheriffs themselves have a video? Or deputy, yeah. They had a video of this thing crossing the highway. Son of a gun. And there was also a uh, report made out by the BFRO of a couple that were coming, they were leaving going home from their cabin late at night, and they seen something cross the road, and she described it as a werewolf-looking thing. Mm -hmm. In about the same area, so. 
There are a lot of dogman reports out of Minnesota. What what do you think of dogman stuff? Do you get dogman reports? Uh, what is your take on dogman? You know, I don't know. I keep an open mind on everything. It's kind of like cloaking and all this other stuff. I've got explanations for all of that. I have an open mind. Until I see one, great. If I, I'm not going to say they don't exist. So, yeah, I've personally never seen like a dog, man. You're, you're talking like a wolf walking on two legs type of thing. And, well, like a yeah, werewolf, I, I, just like this lady mentioned. Anything yeah. that looks like a werewolf. Yeah, I, yeah. like I say, I, I don't know what to think. Like I say, it's possible. I've never, I've never seen one. I've never seen a UFO either, and I know in my heart they probably exist. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like I say, I, I don't say they don't exist because I've never seen one. Well, I saw a UFO up close, and I saw a Sasquatch up close, so I can tell you those things exist. I, I also have never seen a Dogman. I don't know what to think of it, so I just, you know, when, when, I, when, when I talk to Bigfoot people, I mean, inevitably, people hear stuff about Dogman, so I just always want to ask, you know, like, what do you make of this? Because I, I just, I, I'm only beginning to inquire into the Dogman thing, and a lot of it is just really mysterious to me. So I just, I just like to ask, you know, what do you think of this? So I just wanted to know what you had to say about it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what to think. Um, it's kind of like I, I hung around a, a lot up on the reservation north of me. I got friends up there. And when I was a kid, my dad and I were up there a lot on the reservation and they have their own take on Bigfoot and they're probably the best historical recorders of Bigfoot than anybody else you know, in, in United States. Oh, certainly. Uh, and, um, I've talked to them, um, and they've said, yeah, they, they change shapes. They turn into different things. Um, I don't necessarily believe that. What I think is, um, I've seen things out in the woods. I seen a 57 Chevy out in the woods one time. And it's just the way the sun was reflecting through the trees. I walked up on it and it was just a bunch of branches and that it, it just the way the sun reflected through the trees and that made this object appear to be and it was not there as far as like blending in. That's what I call it. And so like if I'm out walking and I'm hunting and I move from tree to tree, I blend in with the tree. So I'm not seen or I look like part of the tree. That's my interpretation. Bigfoot will get behind a tree or he'll get behind a rock and he'll blend in with it. So that would be my inter- interpretation of them changing, you know, in the different things. You make a good point that that observations of this strange thing they do where they seem to just kind of disappear, uh, that might factor into these uh, these historical accounts of shape-shifting. That, that's, a, mm-hmm. that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that before. Hell, I can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you I, can. I can do that myself. I've disappeared, you know, and just get by in a tree or something and blend in. And, and people often recover these translucent hairs uh, from from Sasquatch uh, sites. And um, and Todd Neese mentioned that he wants to do an experiment having to do with fishing line and bear hide. So, um, so, so like these translucent translucent hairs that people recover may in fact play a part in this cloaking that they do or this, you know, this ability they have to camouflage themselves or how people seem to see them disappear. It may have to do with these translucent hairs. So there are things on the horizon. There are works. There are things in the works as far as those things are concerned. Yeah, I have a friend of mine by the name of Doug Hightech. Mm-hmm. Um, 
used to be a producer. He still is a producer for Monster Quest and that. And right now he's developing different technology out there. It's kind of interesting. I, I, you know, I, he lives down by the Twin Cities. I met up with him a few times and he's an interesting person. Um, he's coming up with some technology that I think is going to make our jobs a lot easier in the future. I have collected bear hair. I've got lots of bear hair I've found. You know, I've got casts of the animals and this and that I've done with plaster, and I've got uh, bear hair samples I've, I've collected. Do you have any insight into uh, the technologies being developed by Doug Hycheck that you can share publicly? Um, what I would suggest is Doug Hycheck has a post on Facebook, I believe, and he's, I don't know if you can see it without being friends. Um, I, I'm actually his Facebook friend on, on Facebook, so I'll, I'll go check it okay. out. Okay. All right. Yeah, he's uh, there's been different things with trail cams and I've had some ideas with trail cams. What I'd like to do is I'm going I'm to invest in a trail cam I can leave out and I can actually hook it to my laptop I have here or my computer I have here. I mean, I live pretty primitively, but I have Paul Bunyan uh, Internet up here. I've got very good Internet and I can get out and do a lot of amazing things with the computer. I'm still learning on that, too. So is Paul Bunyan, is that the name of a local internet provider? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. So what I'm looking at is getting a trail cam set up now that would stay out. It's solar powered. Um, I could actually program it for so much a month where I could actually watch it on my computer, what's going on, or I can get video or I can get photos or whatever. Um, and I'd like to do that. The problem with that is it's very detectable. Either I, I want something that won't give off a noise, and I want something that's not going to be noticeable. So I'm working on a birch bark cloaking device that this camera would go into that you could actually hang on a tree that would not be noticeable. Would it? Would this have an infrared trigger? Like, uh, would this be motion activated by infrared light? I'm still checking into that. I believe it is. Um, there's several different brands out there. My youngest boy, he's really into the hunting and that, and uh, he's been really checking into this, and I hope by this summer I can get something set up in a couple locations. But yeah, I mean, you know, obviously the deer know it's there, and other animals know it's there. You know, Bigfoot's going to stay out of it unless he wants to be seen, I guess. But the idea is, uh, you know, actually capture one on video or capture one on a photo. Of course, it's going to be called a hoax. I really don't care. It'd be for my own research. Right. Absolutely. More than anything else. Yeah. So that's why I don't post any photos or anything I have. Um, I just don't want the controversy over it. Sure. Well, if you ever want to show me some of your photos privately, I would love to see them. Just, you know, I just want to see it for my own, for my own sake. So if, if you're comfortable doing that, you know, go ahead and send those along to me. And I, of course, won't do anything with them. I will keep them to myself. Well, a lot of them I got to figure out how to retrieve. So I had a problem here with AT&T a few months ago. Where I lost everything. And unfortunately, I had a lot of stuff that was on my phone. And some of it I can retrieve. Some of the snow uh, photos I got of snow tracks. I'm still trying to retrieve some of the other stuff I've got. Um, most of it is animals. We have a new breed of wolf up here in Minnesota, and I have them on video. And the DNR up here says they don't exist. Well, I got proof they do. Wow. A new breed of wolf. 
Yep, it's a cross between a timber wolf and a coyote, and uh, natives up in the reservation call them coyotes. And uh, I've actually, eight years ago, I had proof that we had mountain lions up here, and the DNR once again said that, no, there's no mountain lions in Minnesota. And I said, well, I have photos, and I've got uh, pictures of tracks in the snow, and I've actually seen them. You know, like I say, I've seen them. i got photos of that. And then within the last two years now, they finally admitted we have coyote or not coyote mountain lands up here in minnesota so you're uncovering all sorts of truths about the wildlife in your home state well usually if there's something weird going on up here the sheriff's department gets a hold of me i've been contacted by the dnr uh i got some good stories about that too it's some of the things i've they were all animal related they were not nothing more other than the one with the palm prints on the window which was very weird we are in the last few minutes of the show, so if you want to share one of those stories with us, let's do it. Well, there was a gal that lived by herself just west of here. This is a few years back. She had something looking through the window at her, and there was a, when I got there, there was a set of palm prints uh, on the top side of the window, and they were twice the size of my hand. But that was about all I was allowed to do was look at them. Uh, this gal lived in a little town by, it's called Effie, Minnesota. And she lived kind of out in a remote area. And uh, that was the one thing. I got a report I have to get out and check out now after the hunting season's over. There's a gal, same scenario. She's widowed, lives in 40 acres south of me. And something's been uh, harassing her at night, throwing rocks at her place up on the roof. Her dogs won't go out. Uh, she claims she's seen something big moving around her property on two legs. So I have to get out there and check that out. Right now, I'm, I've got a couple of health issues. I'm waiting to get over that so I can get back out in the field again. Yeah, you mentioned these health issues. I'm very sorry to hear about that. I do strongly suspect that you're going to bounce back and be tip-top before long. But it did occur to me, I, I, I did feel the need to ask you, do you think your health issues uh, have been contributed to or perhaps caused by the infrasound attacks that you experienced? I don't know. I don't know. A, um... I, I doubt it. It's possible, um, but it's a family history. So, it, okay. They did. Uh, I went in for a blood test uh, Wednesday. They wanted to recheck me for Lyme's disease. I've had Lyme's disease three times, but I spend a lot of time out in the woods. So that's you know it goes with the territory. A lot of mosquito bites and everything else. So. Sure. Oh yeah, it sure does. And ticks love me. I can't go anywhere without getting a tick on me. But I have yet to have Lyme disease, so I'm lucky in that regard. Well. Not fun. <laughs> no, that's what I hear. Well, Mike, are, are, like I said, we're in the last few minutes of the show. Are you currently working on anything that you can share with us? Do you currently have an open case, like uh, an ongoing Bigfoot event or something that has happened recently? Well, I've gotten several reports from hunters up here now in the last week. And things will really start going nuts, I'd say, about end of April, or I'd say March into April. A lot of the people come up here and they open up their cabins. You get people come up here and camp. That's when I start really getting a lot of reports of sightings. And uh, there's a couple really good ones I want to get in there. Uh, I'd like to get back in this winter and check them out. The problem is I don't like going into these areas by myself anymore at my age. I'd like to have somebody with me. So, But there's two areas I, I'm getting a lot of reports out of. I'd like to actually get in there at night and check it out. It might be promising. I don't know. Sure. But the... 
the area is sure squatchy, put it that way. I've checked them out kind of briefly. So. I have no doubt. Does uh, Is your research team able to go in there with you? Uh, I no longer belong to a research team. Uh, me and another member resigned here about a month ago. Um, and actually, we're looking to start our own team up here now. So that, that's where that's at right now. We've talked about it, talked about uh, Minnesota Bigfoot Research Team. They're great guys. They're great guys. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. There just was some issues between a couple of us. And the easiest thing was just to step away from it. So but they you. do great work. They do great work. Abe's a good guy. They all do good work. They got the uh, conference going again this year in, up here in Grand Rapids, Minnesota, second annual conference. And uh, that was a big hit. A lot of people, a lot of name, uh, name people. I miss not seeing Cliff. I like Cliff. You mentioned Bobo. Bobo's a great guy. I could see him and I getting a lot of trouble together. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and Renee. Uh, Renee is a very, very sweet woman. Um, I got to know her when we were doing the filming. She's a very nice person. I get that impression of Renee. I I've I have yet to meet Renee, but I get that impression of her. I've I've always imagined that she must be very sweet and warm in person. There's there's a side of her. It's very nice. Um, and then Matt. Matt is a good guy. Matt is a very good guy as well. He's definitely dedicated to what he's doing. And they are certainly all admirable people. I I respect them tremendously. The four cast of Finding Bigfoot. I know Bobo. I have spoken with Cliff on on their on their podcast, and I do not yet know the other two. But um, you know, I will one day, I think. So, Mike, you are one of those people who I just have to stay in contact with. I hope you keep me abreast of all the interesting developments that come your way, and uh, let's let's keep in touch, okay? Well, definitely, definitely. I know where you're at, and I know how to get a hold of you. Um, like I say, I'm hoping after. Uh, January things are going to look better. Um, I can actually get out and get some of the stuff done I need to get done out in the woods. Do some follow up on some reports and stuff like that. So it's it's going to happen. It's going to happen. You're going to be seeing some videos, I'm sure, here in the near future. Ooh, and I cannot wait. I eagerly anticipate those videos. Well, I got a, a camera guy all lined up who wants to go out and. And he knows the camera equipment. He knows how to do the filming and editing and all that. It's just a matter of getting a few key people together. And we're going to bust loose, I think, next spring and next summer. We're going to get out in the field and see if we can get something going, you know. If anything, some educational stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, I hear you. Well, that, that sounds awesome. And I can't wait to see what is in the near future with Mike Hexum. So, Mike Hexum, thank you so much for joining me today on Type 471. It's been enlightening. It's been great talking to you, too. We'll keep in touch, and let's do this again. Oh, yeah. Let's do it again, for sure. I'm glad you said right. that. We'll be talking soon, Mike. All right. All right. You take care. You, too. All right. Please show your support for Type 471 Podcast by rating, reviewing, liking, commenting, following, or subscribing on the platform of your choosing. Look for Type 471 Podcast across social media and check out the Type 471 Podcast YouTube channel. Each YouTube video contains all media associated with each episode. If you've had an encounter with the extraordinary, be it Bigfoot, Dogman, UFOs, interdimensional beings, or what have you, email me at type471podcast at gmail.com. I'm Sam Kitchen. Thanks for listening to Type 471.